Hi, I'm Charlie Todd from New York City. I'm Cody from Sacramento. I'm Eric from Durham, North Carolina. Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like me. If you'd like to support the show like I did, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. Bye now. I'm Jesse Thorne, live on tape from my house in Los Angeles. It's the Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest on the program is a uh, comedian, writer, and performer. You might have heard her on This American Life or on The Moth. Um, Her brand new book of memoir is called The New York Regional Mormon Singles Halloween Dance. It's the story of how she, a young practicing Mormon, moved to New York City and struggled with her faith and the demands that New York City makes on anybody, not just Mormons. Um, Elna, welcome to the Sound of Young America. Hello, how are you? Let's start with this. Uh, Tell me a little bit about your family. You you grew up in a Mormon family, but but not in uh, you know the the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. In other places, describe your family to me. Well, I come from a family of five kids, which is typical for Mormons. They always have large families. But uh, my dad is Mexican. My mom is like American, and uh, <laughs> just <laughs> generally. Uh, and um, we, I was born in Seattle, but when I was nine, we moved overseas to Madrid, and then we moved to London. And they had five kids under the age of eleven. And my parents were so excited to actually just leave the United States that they piled us in the van and we drove. Every summer we would just drive to different countries. We went One summer we went to 25 countries, and they never made plans. They'd just arrive and figure it out. And uh, so I definitely grew up getting to see the world, but also you know, every Sunday, no matter where we were, we would have to either practice our own service or go find a Mormon church. Did you have a Mormon community uh, growing up in Washington State? Somewhat, yeah. I grew up in the suburbs of Washington State, and I feel like you get your friends at church, your parents' friends are from church, uh, and everyone kind of has the same values as you. You you know that other things exist out there because you go to school with people who don't believe what you believe, but I don't think I realized the level at which almost all people don't believe what I grew up to believe <laughs> until I moved overseas. You were... Um... When you were college age, uh, your parents were hoping that you would uh, go to uh, BYU, the um, uh, Mormon school in, in Utah, uh, uh, certainly a world-class university. Um, but you were not hoping to go to BYU, and you actually applied to college to non-BYU colleges without telling them? Yeah, I um, I paid the tuition sort of registration fee myself, and uh, I had hoped to go to NYU. And actually, they were, they're polar opposites of schools, and I remember the college sort of ranking system that had come out that year. BYU was rated number one in substance control, and NYU was rated number one in access to drugs. <laughs> um, and then NYU, I got in, and... My parents, even though they were liberal in that they'd lived overseas, they were terrified of me going off to New York City. How did you even present that to them? I mean, I can't imagine um, applying to schools without my parents. Uh-huh. 
Um, so w- when you got the acceptance letter to NYU, what was it like when you like brought it out and said, hey, by the way, I secretly applied to a heathen <laughs> college? I have a tendency to do these sorts of things to my parents. Hey, <laughs> guess what? Like when I was a kid, uh, when you're Mormon, you have to go to early morning seminary uh, before school. So like you have to wake up at six in the morning and study the Bible for an hour. And I am not a morning person, so I hated going to these sorts of things. Why is it early in the morning? I mean, I, I had plenty of friends who went to Hebrew school, and it was usually it was an after-school operation. They're trying to teach you discipline, but it's the worst possible way because it just makes you resent God. <laughs> and it was my older sister's, like, responsibility to wake me up and drag me to seminary. But I discovered that if I snuck into her room and unplugged her alarm clock and plugged it back in, <laughs> she wouldn't wake up. And so I was doing that on like every few weeks I would, you know, do it. And then she started catching on so she would lock her door. So then I discovered that the the outlet to the all the power in the house was in my bedroom. So I would just wait till I knew everyone was asleep and then I would just flip it, flip it back. And like everybody was late. My dad was late to work. All the kids were late. It was so <laughs> selfish. But it was worth it because I got to sleep in like an additional three hours. And uh, so that was, again, that's one of the things that I've, in my adult life, been like, hey. Oh, and my parents hired, an, it got so bad because I was doing it so much, they hired an electrician to rewire the house. <laughs> <laughs> and then I couldn't really do it anymore. Plus, then my dad also bought battery-operated alarm clocks for us all, which was just devastating. Uh, but that was one of those things later in life that I was like, hey, remember when that happened? It was me. Um, so, so what you're saying essentially is, is that they were prepared for your, uh, major life-changing deceptions? (laughs) Yeah, just simply because I'd always been deceptive. What was it like when you actually presented to them that you actually, that you were choosing NYU? What did they think? Were, Were they behind the idea? Well, my mother was terrified because... You know, to her, New York was the same New York from the movies in the 70s where, like, pimps are screaming at hoes or, you know, not that she watched any movie rated over PG, but uh, she sat me down and gave me her sort of mother-daughter talk before college. And she began by saying, she was like, Elna, the first thing that'll happen is you might start to swear. (laughs) And then she's like, "Uh, and swearing will lead to drinking. And drinking will lead to doing drugs, and you know I'm you know I'm expecting the next thing based on the progression to be you know sex, but instead my mother looks directly into my eyes and says, uh, "And Elma, what would you do if a lesbian tried to make out with you?" <laughs> and you know, like you don't expect your parents to say these sorts of things, so I was like, I don't know, you know, I'd say no, thank you, lesbian. <laughs> Um, And then she was like, there's one more thing. There are these clubs in New York City where men pay women to dance with very little clothing on. Don't do that. (laughs) So that was like literally the advice that was given to me before moving to New York City. She like hands you a slip of paper. I know a policeman. His name is Serpico. (laughs) (laughs) It's to you. Um, of course, when you when you got to NYU, as as you write in the book, um, you found yourself kind of walk at that classic moment of walking into your dorm room in your um, 
your freshman year roommate is already has already moved in uh, his or her stuff, which for you meant that you walked in like facing a wall that had already been covered by a giant rainbow flag. Correct. Um, what what was that like for you to just to just be just be dropped straight into it? I mean, it was really it's like, of course, like of course, after <laughs> all my mother's panic, of course I'm going to be living with someone who's gay, and like it really didn't bother me. But there were like certain moments that would be a little bit uncomfortable, and sometimes I'll think like, oh, I'm being too uh, much of a prude. I'm only feeling uncomfortable because I'm religious, so I will go out of my way to make this seem okay. But uh, I remember my roommate, like, the one thing that did make me uncomfortable is she would wear, like, a a prosthetic male uh, piece underneath her clothes so that she would feel, you know, in touch with her inner man. And Sure. uh, She she talked about it with some friends at the women's center. Exactly. (laughs) And, uh, And sometimes she would just leave it around the dorm room, you know, like, so you'd look up from, like, doing your homework and there would be on the counter just sort of perched and uh and yeah you know i tried to go out of my way to be like no this is cool this is cool i'm not a prude and to be clear you had because of your uh faith and your adherence to your faith um you had no experience with those parts of a guy <laughs> thank you for <laughs> phrasing it that way uh besides besides with uh your roommate's uh gender expressions yes so i mean it, as far as i knew it only comes in plastic so what uh, what were the things that you uh got out of NYU um and sort of dropping yourself into this world that um that were what you you were hoping for and and what were the things that you experienced that that you weren't expecting well you know i think i'd always sort of grappled with this idea you know am i someone who is mormon am i choosing that or is that the way i was raised and you know this ever since i was little like in fact uh, when i was uh 5 and I just had started school. I didn't like going to school, but I found out that there was like a light at the end of the tunnel and that someday you'd be finished. And the word for that was graduate. <laughs> so right when I learned the word graduate, I came back home and I said to my mother, when do we graduate from church? <laughs> to, to which she informed me like the word for that was death. Uh, and so, you know, I'd always questioned my faith, but I'd never acted on it. So when I moved to New York City... There was a part of me that thought, like, this was my escape route, and I would stop being Mormon. And then when I got here, uh, something about um, just NYU kind of was this school of lost children, and, and they were all sort of like, they were like the unique people from their town. who were like, I'm unique. I'm going to go to the city of unique people. And then you move into this world of everyone who's, like, so actively trying to prove how different they are, but because everyone's doing it, everyone's exactly the same. And uh, a big part of my identity was the fact that I was Mormon, and it was different. And I didn't feel comfortable just letting that go. And so I went to church right when I moved here, and I was surprised how much it meant to me to have faith in the city. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm your host, Jesse Thorne. My guest, Elna Baker, is the author of the memoir, The New York Regional Mormon Singles Halloween Dance. How is the Mormon community uh, different in uh, New York City than it was in um, 
uh, in Washington State when you were a kid or in um, Madrid or in a van with your parents? Well, I think um, the Mormon, there's, Mormonism has a culture to it, and then there's the actual teachings of it. And the culture is very much centered around Utah and uh, sort of, you know, jello cook-offs and, <laughs> and, you know, like everything. Like Mormon commercials crack me up because they're always shot in soft focus. It's like, you know, a family passing potatoes around and the music is like, families, we love them. <laughs> And like, you're I, like, I like when you said passing potatoes around. <laughs> um, I realize now that you meant like a dish of mashed potatoes. <laughs> I thought this was a thing that Mormons do, where they just pass raw potatoes to each other, like a kind of holy hot potato situation. I always have to be careful because a lot of people have no exposure to Mormons. So I'll say something <laughs> weird that's clearly a joke, and, and people are like, "Oh my gosh, Mormons do that. That must be a Mormon thing." Uh, so I'm a terrible representative of my church. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, they, there's this image of what um, the Mormon culture would like itself to be, you know, and in spite of that, like, all of Utah isn't in soft focus. They just film it that way. Mm-hmm. And um, It is very dusty. It, you're right. You're right. It can be soft. If something gets in your eyes, it can be soft focus. Uh, and uh, when... Um, when I moved to New York, I was surprised that the Mormon community in New York, uh, a lot of people who live out here are from Utah. And so they, in spite of the fact that they live in the city, they still stick to that community. There's church activities almost every night. So you could almost live like you're living in Utah in New York. Uh, but I chose not to do that because I always felt like I like to say yes to whatever's in front of me. And uh, by doing that, I felt like I was always venturing out into the city, meeting interesting people, and uh, I continually had things come into my path that were contrary to my religion and made me question it. You um, use as this kind of like a framing device in the book um, a, a series of short recollections of the titular New York regional Mormon singles Halloween dance. Um, which is, uh, from from what I gather from your descriptions, one of the um, a, a sort of central gathering of New York single Mormon culture. Um, can you describe what what this dance is like? Like, if we walked into it, what we would see? Okay, ready. Picture this: <laughs> gym, Mormon church gym. You walk in, sort of. Too much light because it can't be too dark because then naughty things could happen. Uh, the activities committee director has decorated the gym to make it look like it's not a gym, but it's still a gym. And there's streamers hanging and there's silly monster feet taped on the floor. And the basketball hoop has been turned into a crazy ghost, but it's <laughs> obviously a basketball hoop. And then to your left, you have a DJ and he's mixing tunes like Cotton Eye Joe and I Will Always Love You and other things that really prevent you from moving your hips in any way that would be suggestive. Uh, then on the other side, you have the refreshments. Uh, obviously, no alcohol, but there is a crazy wild punch. Uh, and usually it's made of Kool-Aid. And then you have these... Uh... Is it like two different Kool-Aids mixed <laughs> yeah. together? Is that what makes yeah. it a punch? That's what makes it crazy wild. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have the generic brand Oreo cookies, because they can't afford to feed everyone with real Oreos. So they just buy the cheap kind. 
and you feel like a little bit like a little league soccer team. Uh, and then you're in this room full of like adults dressed in really, really creative costumes because Mormons are real crafty people. <laughs> and uh, they are dancing to the music. And there's that sort of feeling, you don't mean to get it, but you feel like you're in middle school. <laughs> and there's like the cool kids and they congregate in the circle and they're like, go Vicky, go Vicky, Elna, go I, Vicky. I cannot imagine how you could feel like you were in middle school while you're in a costume in a, a gymnasium that's been transformed into a dance while someone plays I Will Always Love You on the PA. <laughs> You're right. It's a stretch. <laughs> um, and I, I write in my book, There's, uh, I remember watching a 35-year-old man who was definitely a virgin dressed in a duck costume do the electric slide. And it was like an all-time low. Because <laughs> this is like, I mean, and the reason that the, the uh, dance is a framing device in my book, I begin the book at the dance and I go back uh, on four different occasions. And every year I go, I swear I'm never going to go again. And then every year there's some reason that I convince myself, you know, maybe this year I'll meet a Mormon man and it'll be easier and I'll do what my parents are hoping. I'll get married in a Mormon temple. Everything will work out great. And then I go to the dance and every year I leave with the the all too familiar disappointment. You write in the book about um, the choices uh, that we make because we want to make them and the other choices uh, that we should have made because they're the ones that might actually make us happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right about that in, in terms of, um, in terms of uh, how happy your family is being a family um, and how uh, maybe your career as a performer in New York uh, Gallabout Town interferes with this deeper happiness that you could get from family. Do you still f- feel that way? Do you wonder if you're making a horrible mistake and, and maybe you should just move to Utah and, and try and meet the next uh, San Francisco 49ers quarterback legend, Steve Young? Definitely. No. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think that like a lot of what I am fascinated by or explore in my writing is just the sort of complexity or ambiguity of these situations. And I remember um, I was at a family reunion and my both my older sister and I were being sort of pressured about dating and marriage and whatnot. And so we ended up kind of sneaking off into another room and uh, and she was like, you know, am I not like a good person just because I'm not married? And I had said to her, I was like, look, you know, I can understand mom hassling you, but has dad ever said anything? Because if, if our father actually, you know, tries to pressure us to get married, then we know we're in trouble. But otherwise, <laughs> we're fine. Because he's really open-minded and, and okay with the fact that we're not married. And my sister told me, she was like, you know, he's never pressured me to get married. But he did once ask me, he said, you know, did we do you kids a disservice by showing you the world? Because now when we want you to make simple choices, choices that we know will be good for you, you're incapable of making them. Uh, and I think that one of the things that I also explore in the book is this notion of possibility and loving that feeling of looking in front of you and seeing that there's so many ways to be, and yet the hesitancy which you experience when trying to make a choice because you know once you choose it, you narrow the possibilities. 
But until you choose something, it's very hard for you to completely understand or learn the lesson because you're not going through it. And uh, I find that most people in their early 20s start to make choices. They choose their career. They choose, you know, uh, if they're going to live the same way their parents taught them or if they're going to go off and believe completely different things. Sometimes they get married. And yet I feel like I've sort of stalled and stretched this momentary period of, of not making choices out my entire 20s so that I had everything available to me and yet didn't have any particular thing available to me. Do you feel like that was a mistake? Um, you know, I, it, I feel like it's so easy to rationalize your life in retrospect. <laughs> <laughs> this happened for this reason. This happened for that reason. It's, it's okay. But I think that's just our ability to adapt to things. Um, so I, there are certain choices that I wonder uh, what making them would have led to. But I, um, I'm also happy with my life now, so, so it's okay. Elna, thank you so much for being on The Sound of Young America. You're welcome. Elna Baker's memoir is called The New York Regional Mormon Singles Halloween Dance. You can find out more about Elna and her live performances at elnabaker.com. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I've been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show produced by Speaking Into Microphones, edited by Nick White. Our theme music provided to us by Dan Wally. Our intern is Mariel Reyes. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org. And if you have thoughts about the show, you can email me at jesse, J-E-S-S-E, at MaximumFun.org. If you want to join us for a weekend of awesome in Southern California, find out more about our annual Max FunCon online at MaxFunCon.com. This year we've got John Hodgman, Jonathan Colton, Jad Abumrad from Radio Lab, and many, many more. We'll see you next time right here on The Sound of Young America. Production of The Sound of Young America is underwritten in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com.